Before we uh, dive into the message this morning, just a couple of reminders. Uh, Men of the Oasis, our men's retreat is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Just a few more weeks to sign up for that, so don't forget to go back there and check that out. Small groups, if you're interested in being a part of that, please contact John Durant. He would love to talk with you about getting into small groups that we have hosts for, we have leaders for, we have homes for. We just need the people to fill them up. Uh, Also, uh, I just appreciate uh, Judy putting that display out the last couple weeks and all of you bringing in items for us to take next weekend uh, down to Mexico to bless those folks down there. And just a reminder that on that table out there, there is a list uh, that we are compiling of people that would be interested in sometime in the future going to Mexico as part of, say, a missions trip. And if you would be interested in that at some point in the future, please give us your email information and everything so how we can contact you uh, out there uh, on that table out there. Um, And then speaking of that, just uh, would appreciate your prayers uh, next weekend uh, as we go to Mexico for the group from our church that's going down. Uh, And especially uh, be praying for, uh, for George. Uh, and myself. We're going to be speaking at two different churches while we're there in Mexico next weekend, uh, one on Saturday night and then one, uh, another one on Sunday morning. But we will be with you all here in spirit, that's for sure. First Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. But while you're also turning to First Thessalonians, would you also turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12 and 1 Thessalonians 5. I, I want to I look at a couple passages in the Gospel of Luke before we uh, get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1 and then Luke chapter 12 verse 54. If you could find that, please. While you're finding those scriptures, I have a question for you. Do you ever feel like you don't have enough time? How many of you feel that way? I, I don't have enough time. I thought so. Well, I hope this message this morning encourages you, but what I'm about to say may initially not, but hang in there with me. We're going to get to that. Because the message of First Thessalonians is that we're running out of time. The world, apart from Jesus Christ, is running out of time to do what they want to do without any regard for God. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are running out of time here on earth to be able to make a difference and make an impact and to follow the, the calling of God upon our lives and to, to do what God created us to do, we're all running out of time. But something that God reminded me of this week as I was studying for this message, and that is this, and you will hear me repeat this throughout the message today because I think it's something we all need to get a grip on. None of us, 
will ever have enough time in our lifetime to do everything we want to do. In fact, we won't have enough time usually in each day to do what we want to do. But we will always have enough time in our lifetime and in each day to do what God wants us to do. That's what we need to keep in mind. If we feel like we don't have enough time, then we need to, I think, examine our use of time. The two main things that Paul wants to get across to the Thessalonian believers and to us today as he follows up on these messages concerning, you know, uh, our perspective of death and dying and then the rapture, and now he's going to come today to the day of the Lord, is that for followers of Jesus Christ, there should be two things front and center in our lives. We should know, as followers of Jesus Christ, the times in which we are living. We should be able to understand at each and every period of history, no matter when it was, including right now, what is God doing now? What is He up to? And what is He about ready to do? The reason we, as Christians, need to know that is because then that determines what we should be doing. Both individually in our lives and corporately as a church. If we don't know the times in which we live, then we're going to have a very difficult time trying to discern and perceive what does God want me to do? What does He want us to be doing? So that's why I wanted to start before we jump to 1 Thessalonians 5 in Luke 12. Look at verse 54. Where Jesus, talking to those who were following Him at the moment, said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A rainstorm is coming, and it does. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be some, some scorching heat. And there is. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. But how can you not know how to interpret the present time? God wants His people to be able to know what's going on right now. What's happening what is God doing? Where is the world going? So that we can know, again, what we should be investing our lives in at any given moment. And then go over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And look at verse 41. Now when Jesus approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you had only known on this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when you will see your enemies, and they will build an embankment, an embankment excuse me, against you and surround you and close in on you from every side. They will demolish you. You and your children within your walls. And we know that Jesus was predicting the Roman Emperor Titus and his legions coming into Jerusalem in 70 AD. They will not leave within you one stone on top of another. Here's the key phrase. Don't miss this. 
because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Jesus said, you did not know the time. You did not recognize what God was up to and what He was doing. You missed it. And because you didn't know what time it was, you didn't know what God was doing, you therefore didn't know what you should do either. I think those passages in Luke are very important then as we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Look at it with me. Where again, on the heels of Paul talking about, listen, death is coming. And the rapture could come at any moment where Jesus returns to gather his own back to heaven. And oh, by the way, then Paul goes on to say this. And on the topic of times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come in the same way as a thief in the night. Notice Paul uses the phrases times and seasons, speaking of the, the sort of the quantity of time and the quality of time, the distinctive characteristics that mark any time in human history. And he's saying to them, look, you've had such good, clear, accurate teaching about the times and the seasons. I don't need to teach you this again. You know it. You just need to pay attention to it, he says. Because you already know the times in which you are living. Do we know? Do we know the distinctive characteristics and character, if you will, that is marking the day and age in which you and I are alive today? Again, no matter when Christians are alive throughout history, God expects his people to know what distinctive characteristics marks the time in which we are alive here on planet Earth. Because each of us, no matter when we are alive on planet Earth, based upon the times and seasons in which we live, God is going to be calling us to certain things based upon the times. Therefore, it behooves us to know what those times are, what those seasons are, what are those characteristics of the days in which we live, because that's going to help us determine what we should be involved with. And he's commending the Thessalonians. He's saying, I don't need to talk to you about this. You already know. Do we know? And of course, too, this, especially verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, highlights how important it is that we as Christians are in a place where we are getting good, accurate biblical teaching. Because how many Christians out there are going to be going to churches where they don't hear anything about the times and seasons and the distinctive characteristics of the day? Therefore, they're sort of clueless as to what maybe they should be doing because they've never heard messages on prophecy or the times and seasons in which we live. And so Paul is underscoring that as well. But then Paul moves to the real subject that he wants to talk to them about. Again, a, a perfect progression from talking about, listen, we all have to pre be prepared for the day of our death. Because we don't know when that's coming. And we're running out of time. 
The Bible says no matter how long we are alive on this earth, our lifespan on earth is but a vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes away. We are only here for a brief amount of time compared to eternity. And then Paul says, oh, and by the way, Christian, the rapture, Jesus' coming could come at any time. So we always need to be ready. And then he says, oh, and here's another thing that you and I as Christians need to consider. That the day of the Lord will come. He doesn't say it might come. He says the day of the Lord will come. What is the day of the Lord? Well, it is something that is spoken about from Genesis, really, through the book of Revelation. It's spoken about all through the Bible. And the day of the Lord is not a reference to a literal 24-hour day. It is speaking about a period of time. A period of time where instead of God coming to offer salvation as he has in the past, the day of the Lord marks a time where God comes in judgment. God comes to finally bring accountability to all human beings. It is a time where God decisively and dramatically interrupts human history and intervenes in human history. It's called the day of the Lord. And the Old Testament prophets spoke much about this time. And the New Testament talks a lot about it. And Jesus talks a lot about it. Are we aware of the day of the Lord? And the reason why even we as Christians need to be aware of the day of the Lord is because it starts at the rapture. That's what begins the day of the Lord. And then the day of the Lord continues all the way through the seven-year tribulation, which culminates in the battle of Armageddon and the beginning of Christ's millennial reign on earth, and then all the way through the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on earth. So it's a pretty long day. It's a day that belongs to God rather than to men. Not that God is never sovereign. He's always sovereign. But at this point in human history, God is basically saying, I'll let you on earth there pretty much do what you want to do. You continue to make a mess of things. You continue to live the way you want to live without any regard for me and doing things my way. But there's coming a day of the Lord. Where man is going to stop and have to acknowledge the Lord and that he exists. And that yes, though he has a God of grace and a God who offers salvation, there is a balanced view of God in scripture. And he is also a God who will hold us accountable and will come in judgment. The same Jesus that is portrayed as the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world is also equally portrayed as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And yes, there is a day of the Lord. And Paul said, here's what you even as followers of Jesus Christ need to be aware of. That the day of the Lord has always been taught that it will come as a thief in the night. 
In fact, Jesus talks more about that than anyone else. And why does he use the phrase, a thief in the night? Well, let me ask you. If you were to go home this afternoon after church and found that your house had been broken into and things were stolen, was that something you expected? No. And that's exactly why Jesus and the Bible uses the phrase that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Because it is trying to get us to see that it's going to come very suddenly and very unexpectedly. And that most people will totally be caught off guard when the day of the Lord comes. Notice then he goes on to say in verse 2, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come in the same way as a thief in the night. Now when they are saying, and notice Paul now does not lump himself in to these other people and their perspective on the day of the Lord. But he says, now when they say there's peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them. And by the way, the word destruction just simply means that mankind will experience an entire sort of undoing and unraveling of their life that leads to ruin and loss. They they will finally see that life without God and living without God and thinking that, that they were never going to have to be accountable to God and all that is going to dramatically and decisively change. And Paul says there's this mindset even in the world that's actually crept into the church that we've got this. We as human beings can figure this all out, right? We can still still do that, right? And we're still putting our hope in man and in man-made systems. And somehow we're thinking that we can figure this all out without God and that we're going to have everything under control and, and that... Everything's good, right? And we keep trying to convince each other everything's good, right? Everything's going to be okay when it's not going to be okay. And there is this sort of false sense of security, even when it comes into the context here of looking at the fact that the day of the Lord's never really going to come. I mean, I can understand how believers or unbelievers, people that don't know God feel that way, but sort of that mentality has even crept into the church and to Christians because they almost live as if they don't think anything's ever going to change and that somehow God's not ever going to dramatically and decisively intervene and interrupt their life and that one day they're going to be on earth and the next day they're going to be in heaven. And that's why he says we've got to be aware that the day of the Lord is going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be unexpected no matter when it happens, you see. And Peter talks about people in the last days who will scoff and mock at the day of the Lord. Remember, he talks about that in 2 Peter. He says, in the last days, there will be a growing number of scoffers and mockers who say, where is the promise of his coming? You Christians have been talking about this return of Jesus and all of this for how many years? And then you you have these really 
for lack of better way to say it, false prophets down through human history who've really even given the whole day of the Lord a bad name because they start setting dates and telling people this is when the world's going to end. And Christians in the church and all of that become laughing stocks because it's obviously not what we're to be involved in. We're not to know because, again, the Bible says no man knows the hour of the day. Not even the angels in heaven, Jesus said. It's going to come like a thief in the night. So anyone ever out there in human history, I don't care whether they call themselves a pastor, uh, a priest, a spokesperson for God, a great Bible teacher, they start making predictions about the date of the day of the Lord, they're going to be wrong every time because the scripture says it comes like a thief. It, God doesn't give us the day. Because God understands human nature. God understands that if we knew exactly when he was going to break into human history again in such a dramatic, decisive way, that many people would just sort of wait and do whatever they wanted to do and then go, oh, well, I got a week now. I can get my life in order. And again, the sad thing is that's the way a lot of Christians are living. They're living as if God and the day of the Lord, I don't, yeah. I mean, you even talk to Christians today, it's like, you think Jesus is going to come back? Oh, I don't know. Probably a million years from now, you know. It's almost like, really? You you don't have that heightened sense of living with a sense of urgency and, and purpose in your life because of the days and times in which you're living? That's what Paul's talking about here. And so he goes on to say, Yes, they will say peace and safety, but then sudden destruction comes on them. By the way, we don't have to wait for the day of the Lord to know that mankind is unraveling. You and I can just, if we pay attention, we can see our own country's unraveling, our world is unraveling. Mankind is unraveling because God basically has allowed mankind to do what he wanted to do within reason of his sovereignty. And we see the mess that mankind has made. But he says, then sudden destruction will surely come upon them, and, and notice, like labor pains on a pregnant woman. Now guys, we don't know exactly what that's like, but Paul is comparing this to the severe agony of childbirth. And he's saying, you know, a gal could be expecting, expect, and then all of a sudden, something changes. And the gal and the, her husband know it's time. That's what Paul says this is going to be like. You sort of know it's coming, but you don't know exactly when, but then boom, there it is. And he goes on to say, and they will surely not escape. No one's going to escape the day of the Lord. Just like people may say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to die. You know, I'm going to live forever. How they self-deceive themselves since every other human being's always died. But, you know, we, we live as if we're not ever going to die We don't have to think about death. We don't have to make preparations for death. We don't have to think about rapture. No, there's no rapture. And the day of the Lord, no. And Paul's saying, you might might deny it, but the reality is, it's going to come whether you believe it or not. Because God says, this is going to happen. And he tells us ahead of time so that hopefully we will be prepared. And then as believers, hopefully, not only will we be prepared for that day, but 
that we will be living our lives in such a way that we will be doing the things that we should be doing in light of the times and seasons in which we're living. Which is why now notice the contrast in verse 4. When Paul makes this distinction with believers again by saying, but you, brothers and sisters. In other words, you shouldn't have that same mentality. (laughs) That, oh, everything's okay and everything's going to be okay and living under this false sense of security. Because, folks, there is no security apart from Jesus Christ. If you are here today or you're listening to this message eventually over podcast and somehow your security for your life is in anything other than Jesus Christ, you have are living with a false sense of security. There is no one else or nothing else that can make you feel secure or help you to be secure other than Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are set safely on high. Our only safety, our only security, our only stability is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And even though the world and even many Christians somehow think that that our security can be found in other things and in other ways, it cannot. Yes, it's raining. It'll stop by the time we have to walk over to the potluck. I shouldn't have said that. God's going to humble me. He'll say, Jeff, don't don't say things like that. You can't control the weather. I do. And then he goes on to say, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness. The Bible teaches that you and I, if we believe in Jesus Christ, if there's a time in our life where we accepted Christ, that we have been delivered from the power of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. We're not in the dark anymore. We have been given supernatural enlightenment and illumination through the Holy Spirit of God and through the Word of God. We shouldn't be in the dark. And then he says, but you brothers and sisters are not in the darkness for the day to overtake you like a thief would. In other words, Christians should never be surprised or caught off guard by not only the day of the Lord, but what's going on in the world. And yet, you know, one of the things that I hear most commonly from Christians, and I'm not talking about just all of you at the Oasis. I'm talking about just Christians that I meet out there in the community or even hear about things that they post and stuff like that. It's like so many Christians today, sad to say, are surprised and caught off guard by what's happening in the world today. And I'm thinking to myself, if you knew this book, you wouldn't be so surprised about what's going on in the world. Because we're not supposed to be surprised or caught off guard. God gives us the Bible so that we know the times and seasons in which we live and that the things that are happening in this world are things that God predicted would happen. In fact, the things that are happening in our own country and the unraveling of our own country are things in a sense that God predicted. You say, well, Jeff, why do you say that? Because one of the questions I get asked more than any other, especially in connection with prophecy, is, Jeff, why is America not mentioned in prophecy in the Bible? 
Well, again, if you understood prophecy, you would know why America is not mentioned there. And I'll just give you one of the many reasons why America is not mentioned in prophecy. And you can see it playing out even in our lifetime. And that is that by the time, and it's coming very soon, that Israel's enemies are at a place where they finally say, yes, we are going to attack Israel and we are going to try to eliminate them from the face of the earth, America will no longer stand with Israel. In fact, there will be no other country in Europe or America. Israel will be standing on its own against its enemies. And that's just one of the reasons why you do not see America mentioned in prophecy. Because America will have taken a step back in many ways in God's eyes because the partnership that we once had with that nation has already begun to dissolve and it will continue to weaken in the times in which you and I live. See, we need to know the times and seasons. So then Paul goes on to say this. You should never be overtaken and think that the things that are happening somehow have surprised you or caught you off guard and that somehow these things are unexpected like a thief would. But verse 5. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. We are children of the light. We have the light of the world, Jesus Christ, residing in us. We have been given the light of God's Word. A lamp, a light, the Bible tells us. And so... We have this divine wisdom and illumination and enlightenment. And therefore, because we've been given light by God, guess what we should be doing? Shining. Giving light. In fact, go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. To Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. If we are children of the light and children of the day, then what should we be doing? And, and is the world continuing to maybe get darker? Yeah, but guess what? That means that when you and I shine as lights and give light, that just makes the contrast all the more dramatic. So notice what Jesus says in verse 14 of Matthew 5. You Christian... You, my follower, are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Literally, the word shine means to beam, to radiate. Are we radiating the light of God out of our life? And folks, not, we shouldn't just be doing that individually. We should be coming together as a corporate body of believers like the Oasis. And we should be, as a local church, shining in the community in which we live. That's why Jesus compares local churches in the book of Revelation to a lampstand. 
He says, my local church is filled with my people who are light in me, should be shining. Local churches should be places that are shining like lighthouses. And that's what I want the oasis to be. A place in this city and in this area, in this community, where the light of God is shining brightly and we are beaming and we are radiating the light of God. This is what we as the light of of God are to be doing. And then turn with me to the book of Philippians. To Philippians chapter 2, and I'm just going to begin reading in verse 12. It's only raining harder as you can... You know, you learn your lessons, you know. So Paul says, So then, my dear friends, Philippians 2.12, Just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which, notice, you shine as lights in the world. There it is. We are to be light. So, where do I want to end today? I want to end in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, if you'll turn there this morning. Paul says to the Thessalonian believers, Look, we as followers of God need to know the times and seasons in which we live. We need to know that so that we then know what we need to be doing, both corporately and individually. Followers of God should not be overtaken, surprised, caught off guard by the things that's happening around them. We should know what's going to happen and be prepared for it and know then what we should be doing in the midst of it all. And obviously the general thing is we need to be light in the darkness. But beyond that, Paul here in the book of Ephesians really gives us some real practical steps in our life of how you and I can walk as children of light. So I'd like to end with this this morning. I think it's a good challenge for all of us. First of all, I'd like you to begin in verse 8 of chapter 5, just with that verse, and then we're going to go down to verse 15. Notice again the context here. Paul is saying to Christians, For you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Okay, God. I need to walk as a child of light. What's that practically mean? Begin following with me in verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. What's that mean? It means to take time to consider and contemplate my life. Down to the To the smallest detail is what those words mean. And you say, really? Yeah. Because when you think about it, if we think about it a little bit, when do we, even as Christians, stop and really take time to think about our life? 
what we're involved with, what we're doing with our life, where we're going, what direction we're going, what do we want our life to look like two years from now, five years from now, what goals do we have? Do we ever really take care of how we're living to the point where we really give it serious thought? I think what Paul's saying is Christians should block off time every once in a while just to think about our life. Because too often, even as Christians, we just sort of get caught up in the, in the stream of everything and we don't stop long enough to go, where's my life going and what am I doing with my life? Because again, what's Paul's point? We're running out of time. We're running out of time. Which is why then Paul equates wisdom with this, verse 16. Taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. It literally means making the most of every moment of our time, of our life. Squeezing, wringing out of every day, everything that you and I can do. In other words, from God's perspective, a wise Christian is one who uses their time most efficiently, most proficiently. That's why we as Christians should never be heard to say, I'm just killing time. Or I'm just biding my time. Really? We've only got so much time. We have such limited opportunities as a human being to make a mark and make an impact and make a difference in this world. I mean, soon we're going to be out of here. Soon either the day of our death is coming, the rapture, the day of the Lord, all these things. It's going to come very unexpectedly. What are we doing with our life? And what are we doing with our time? When you and I begin to look at our life and what we're doing with all of our time... God says that's how you know whether we're living wisely or not. Because people who aren't living wisely, whether they're Christian or not, just fritter away so much time. We don't consider time so precious. And we, we th- somehow think that this hour, we'll have many more hours left, we'll have many more days left, we have many more weeks and months and years and... And then pretty soon another year goes by and nothing's changed. Because for us, we're not taking advantage of every opportunity. We're not making the most of our time. And this is why I'm so excited, folks, about the future of our church and why God's called us to this particular time in history and to be doing the things that we're doing. Because God wants us to truly, before he comes back, make as much of an impact as we can That's why I'm excited about the things that's happening in our church. It's not just buildings going up and land being bought. It's the fact that God wants to plant a lighthouse in this valley. And he wants us to be a light for him. And we've only got so much time left. So what should we be investing in? So again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. None of us as human beings will ever have enough time in our lifetime or in a single day to do everything we want to do. But we will always have enough time in our lifetime and in a single day to do what God wants us to do. And God says to his people, you want to walk as a child of light? You want to be light? Then make the most of every moment of your life. Don't let an hour, don't let a day, don't let a week, don't let a month go by where you've just, ugh. No, 
Seize it. Capture it. Use it. Be purposeful. And then he goes on to say this. Verse 17. For this reason, do not be foolish. The word means short-sighted. One who's not thinking about the ramifications or the consequences or the fallout of certain decisions. In other words, God is saying again, wisdom is seen in that if you're just making this decision now in your life, but you're not looking at all down the road, it's, well, how's that going to affect me now a year from now? And how's that going to affect my family five years from now? And all that, Paul's saying, you're being very short-sighted because you've only got so much time on this earth left. We're running out of time. So then Paul says this, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. See, Christians should not be in a fog about what God wants them to do. Every one of us here in this room today that knows Christ is our Savior, we should know what the Lord's will is for us. And as a church, we should know, based upon, you know, the leadership that God is giving us, what we should be focused on as a church. We should always know that. And I love this word, understand. It's a very picturesque word that Paul uses. I sort of paraphrased it myself, but I use the phrase connecting the dots so that I come to a clear conclusion about what God's will is for my life. Because, see, the way God works in our life is he will start bringing different things into my life that if we, again, take time to think If we start connecting that dot with that dot and that dot and that dot, God says, when you start putting all those different pieces of the puzzle together, pretty soon like a puzzle, you'll start to see that my will will become very clear and you will come to a very clear conclusion about what I want you to do and what I want you to be involved with. But we need to have that kind of, of wisdom from God to be able to connect the dots. Or, using the puzzle image, I need to, as a Christian, learn how to take the different pieces of the puzzle that God's giving me. Because He's not going to give me the whole picture in one piece. He's going to give me different pieces of a puzzle. Not that He's trying to hide God's will or God's word from us. He wants us to learn how to, again, think and navigate and use the the wisdom and the brains that he's given us to be able to look at this situation and that circumstance and and where I'm at now and the leading of the Spirit and the guidance of, of the Word and to bring those all together and go, wow, it's giving me one completely clear picture. How cool! That's what God says it means to walk as a child of light. Two things primarily. Walking as a child of light and walking in wisdom means I'm going to be a person that uses my time really well. I'm going to be very efficient in the time that God gives me. And two, I'm going to understand what God's will is. I'm going to know what God wants me to be focused on in the time that he's given me right here, right now. And that's what Paul's telling the Thessalonians. That's why he's talking to them about, I don't have to teach you this about the times and seasons. You know the day of the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. You're not like those others. You're sons and daughters of the light and of the day. Walk as a child of light. It should not overtake you. Let's... Get focused. 
And let's begin to live our lives with this sense of urgency that all Christians should be living with instead of living in this foggy haze. I'm going to ask our worship team to come this morning. And we're going to end with a great song, Take My Life and Let It Be. I'm, I want to call on you this morning. If you would like to just sort of take today and say, today, I want this day to be a day that I can mark and, and where I like, God has spoken to me and I, I, I just want to sort of rededicate, recommit myself. Re, I've been reinvigorated to sort of get refocused again in my life. Then do whatever the Lord is leading you to do. And don't put it off. And don't say, well, maybe I'll make that decision or that choice some other time. If the Spirit of God is speaking and you're hearing His voice, then follow whatever He's asking you to do. And maybe the Spirit of God is maybe leading some of you to just come here to this makeshift altar at the front of this school auditorium. And just seal the decision between you and him today. But as we sing this song, let's remember something. The Bible teaches us that even as children of God, we're going to give an account of the words that we speak and the words that we say. So as we get ready to sing this song, Lord, take my life. Let's make sure that before we are saying those words, that we really mean what we're singing and what we're saying. Because if we get up and we start singing, take my life because we know this song, we know the words, but in our heart, we're not really willing to get up there on that altar and lay our life as a living sacrifice before God and say, God, you know what? It's not about me. It's not, it's not my life to run. It's not my life to lead. It's not trying to fit into my day and into my week and into my year, all the things that I want to do. It's about finding out, God, what you put me here for and what you want me to do, what you created me for, what you're calling me to do. That's what my life's about. And that's what this song's about. So let's stand. And I hope all of us will sing and can sing because I hope all of us will say today to God, God, I really do want my life to count. I really do believe the day of the Lord is coming and it's going to come very unexpectedly, but I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be surprised. I want to be doing what you have called me and created me to do. I want to know, God, what your will is for my life. And I want to make the most of every moment of my life while I'm here. Let's sing this song together.